It's ten times the terror. Hello there. Hello and welcome to Ten Times the Terror. My name is James. And I'm Paul. I'm Danny. And today we're here to discuss Wes Craven's classic, one of my favorite films ever, Scream. Released 25 years ago, so we figured between that and the fact that we have a new one coming out uh, next month, January, figure a good as time as any to revisit this film. Because what better way to ring in the holidays than Ghostface and some dead teenagers? <laughs> um, yes, this is Scream. This was released actually... We're coming very close to the actual anniversary because it was released on December 20th, 1996. Mm. This was a holiday release. I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, bring the whole family this Yeah, time. right, right. Merry <laughs> Christmas. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think we can go around and, and sort of give our maybe sort of, uh, in broad terms, our, our thoughts on the films, maybe our personal history. Uh, Dad, I'd like to start with you because you probably would have had a better recollection of this movie when it came out given that Danny and I were five. So, <laughs> yeah, right. um, yeah, what do you think of the movie? Did you see it in theaters? And kind of what the was theater. your impression of the sort of like cultural impact of the Yeah, movie? no, I, I, was, I was very impressed with it, uh, more so than I had been of any Wes Craven's earlier work, which uh, I think was part of what, at that time, we were calling nihilistic horror, mm -hmm. you know, or evil triumphs, and uh, there's just, you know, one tragedy after the other, and no matter what you do to Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger, they just keep coming back, and you know, uh, people are willingly vic are willing victims. You know, the police seem inept. That you know, and, and you're missing. Uh, you get muted and not existent. A critical person in in my view of the horror film is the redeemer hero. That uh, that the, the horror film at its best is an allegory of the continuing conflict between good and evil, on not just a physical historical level, but on a spiritual level. So you need to have a spiritual leader, spiritual guide. You know, to really, really do justice to the to the films, and um, I didn't think that had been the case with Wes Craven. Mm -hmm. uh, I I really I did not did not like Little House on the um, uh, not a little yeah House Little House on, on the Prairie, Last House on the Right, Last House on the Left. What I'm trying to think of, yeah, or The Hills Have Eyes, or all the Freddy Krueger movies. Uh, I like the third one the best, but then even that kind of ends with. Uh, uh, here comes the evil back again, you know. Uh, Michael Myers pretty soon becomes absolutely indestructible, so there's not much point uh, in, in those films, or there's not much engagement because whatever you do, Michael Myers is going to survive. So you know, you can shoot him, you can burn him up, you can you know drop him out of third-story windows. He can, he just keeps coming, and there's no real reason why. He just sort of does, you know. Uh, yeah, whereas they kind of keep franchising it. Yeah, right. So. Um, in Scream, though, um, that was not uh, Wes Craven's real choice. He, he was not a film he probably wanted to do right away. And he kind of got talked into it, and he owed, a, owed a film. I have to say his um, New Nightmare, okay. the, the New Nightmare one he did, which is sort of about doing horror films, um, and Spirits, and uh, to get the, some of the reflection on, on the, the, the overtly spiritual part of that was, uh, I think, very interesting. Uh, I wasn't totally pleased with it, but it, it at least you know, raised the right kinds of questions. And Robert Englund, you know, talking about everything from Freddy Krueger to playing the fan of the opera, you know. Well, it, it's interesting you bring up New Nightmare because I think that's the one that's most closely related to the screen because right. it is, yeah, sort of a meta horror film. 
it's it's the, outside of the original, the only nightmare film that Wes Craven directed. Mm. So it's kind of interesting that he's coming back to the franchise to do a kind of meta take. But you're right that when he was initially approached with Screams of Project, he didn't want to direct it, and he no. actually wanted out of the horror genre entirely. So yeah, I, I think don't he, know who he, kind of they they sort of talked his way into it, but he seemed he, to have he, went, you know, he went to a very conservative Christian college, Wheaton College. Mm. You know, so he had that background. Um, Does that explain the nihilism? <laughs> yeah, it may well explain the nihilism of you know what I would call that. Uh, but he also is dealing here with the um, uh, a, a major character in what we would call, you know, the the non supernatural part of horror, which are the psychotic killers. And uh, at the very least, that goes back to 1930 to Fritz Lang's M, a child killer, very a film that is still very disturbing. But, you know, uh, this wasn't too long after uh, Silence of the Lambs, you know, and then you think about Norman Bates and Psycho, you know, and this this character uh, shows up again and again. And uh, there's a number of, I, I think, uh, really uh, near brilliant tour de forces when I watched it again. The whole idea of having uh, two killers being, two people being the same killer. Uh, is very novel, and uh, that throws it, throws the poor audience way off track because he keeps seeing these things that that's point that you know person A is being the killer, and then well, no, we can't possibly have been that because you know right. he's 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 a perfect alibi, you know, and uh, so there's a lot of cat cat and mouse things. It makes me think of um, like the Broadway play Sleuth, you know, the, the other sources that are not thought of as just being horror. Uh, but it is, you know, it is very grisly. And what it what it does do is that it it comments on and also participates in the um, uh, the, the horror symbolism, which is very rare. Uh, I mean, a cross reference, believe it or not, would be Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein or Young Frankenstein. Okay, which those are much more parodies. Yeah, well, all right, they are. But 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 so this is a parody too. When they're saying, "Don't say uh, I'm good, I'll be back right away," you know, it's clearly That's a parody. They always say, "Yeah, right." Yes, yeah, you, you say that, you never come back alive, you know. Um, but in, in the rules of the game, in 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 the the farces of the parodies, is nobody ever gets hurt, really. You know, I mean, it's uh, the Wolfman goes chasing after Lou Costello, and you know, and never never catches him type of thing. Right. Whereas that's what's kind of brilliant about this is that well, this is the the horror is real, but the um, the comment on the horror, the the, the distance factor, stepping back and looking at it as a genre, uh, I and I think he he works out. I don't know how self conscious he was in this. That he brings in a, a, re, a redeemer hero, an unlikely figure, but as, as I look back and reflect on Wes Craven's films, um, there are there are a few redeemer heroes, but they're not major characters. Uh, the You're redeemer hero in Scream. Hmm? You're talking about Courtney Cox's like evil uh, newsbreaker as a redeemer hero. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, say that. Uh, let's let's still go around and get everyone's initial impressions, and we'll come so, yeah. into it. Anyway, the point is, I I liked it at the time. I was pleasantly surprised by it, uh, and um, I think it was no surprise. I mean, by that time, the uh, I won't say it was a cliche, but there have been any number of horror films where the opening character in the in the opening sequence gets killed right away, and that comes, of course, from Psycho, where the first um you know 20 20 25 minutes of the film the, the main character gets killed but 
that was true in Hammer films. It was true in a lot of other things. Between, I mean, because we're talking, this is what, 1993? 96. 96. So, you know, uh, Things like uh, Psycho and stuff were way back. You know, I've been around for quite a while. Well, the movie's chock full of references to other uh, horror. But again, let's get everyone's initial impressions. So, okay. Danny, let's hear your thoughts on the movie <laughs> and your personal history. Yeah, I guess when I first saw it, it was the early 2000s, and I was not a big horror fan. I was not well-educated on classic horror movies. And I kind of, you know, um, confused the plot of Scream with the plot of Scary Movie, <laughs> which does a masterful job spoofing scream but upon rewatch uh, mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago with james i realized like of course it lends itself to parody scream yeah. is in and of itself mocking and you know laughing at all of these horror movie tropes yeah it's chock full of them and and it's better for that you know it's it's a self-aware about as self-aware as this type of slasher killer can be you know where the where the the killers are you know um menacing but still really getting like the crap kicked out of them by drew barrymore and um neve campbell you know it, it's it's sort of like subverting tropes where like you know these women who are supposed to be helpless are really just like kicking the crap out of these these guys with knives the, the idea that uh, the the horror is real where it does occur you know um you you have real victims dying horrible deaths yeah so in that part, it's not a parody, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, so I, I think I first yeah. saw this movie either in high school or college. And again, it's one of those things where because of scary movie, because things, the image of Ghostface and, and Drew Barrymore, it's so iconic that even if you haven't seen the movie, you're kind of familiar with it. Um, and yeah, I, I, again, you sort of know a lot of the movie from scary movie and the way it's been parodied. But I agree. I think that even though it's a very meta movie, it still works as a brutal slasher because, like you said, the threat is real. People are dying, and so it's it's to me it doesn't go full parody the way like an Adam Costello movie Frankenstein where the Wolfman's like tripping over himself right. and it's yeah. very clearly farcical. He's not the threat he would be right. in the Wolfman movie. Whereas Ghostface is killing people, and yeah, I, I think to your point about yeah the the twist where it's two killers. It's something that's so simple, and yet you're also like, yeah. how did no one ever think of this? Because right, right. I love, I love showing this movie to people for the first time when they're trying to guess who the killer is. Like, well, it must be that guy. No, it can't be him. It's him. It's right. Billy. It's the dad. And then it's like, oh wait, it's two of them. And it, and it, it, it's set up so well throughout the movie that even mm-hmm. on rewatch, it still holds up. Because sometimes watching a movie with a twist on a second viewing, yeah. it doesn't hold up because you know where it's going. But this movie zigs and zags throughout all the tropes, throughout all the expectations that when you get to the end it's all the more fulfilling yeah yeah the um and i think the idea of of, uh that the redeemer hero character that you know the the courtney courtney cox right uh is an unsympathetic character and and it seems like a very shallow because you only wants the publicity she's the worst example of the media well and and she's exploiting uh sydney's mother's death yeah right right exactly yeah yeah, for for her novel and all this kind of stuff and yet at the end when um spoiler alert you know where uh (laughs) you haven't seen it by now that's your yeah right it's 25 years later at the end when uh you know she's she's in the car that crashes up on the side of the road She's she's out of the area of danger. She could just take off, even on foot, wave down a fl- you know car, and and get back to town and whatever. Uh, it, instead, she comes back, and she is the rescuer. She is the redeemer hero. Uh, in a way, see, like 
Donald Pleasance in Halloween um, compromise, I think, you know, not his fault, compromises that character because all he can do, he can talk about who Michael Myers is, but he can't really uh, overcome Michael Myers. The Redeemer hero overcomes the problem of evil. This is, and this is, the, you know, in Western literary tradition of, of these kind of stories go back to the Bible and in, in Greek mythology. And, uh, you know, there is that idea that hero is a fundamental character. And when you take away the hero, you have just chaos. You know, if um, Freddy versus Jason. Uh, <laughs> and I think it, it, there's a whole stretch of nihilistic horror. Uh, and I think uh, Wes Craven in some ways is the, well, it, that actually goes back to um, uh, to the 50s. The British films are, are very, very important. By the way, um, one of my one of my favorite directors. I've done a lot of work on Terrence Fisher. In his film, The Gorgon, you've got you've got that scene of the young person hanging from the tree right in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And I, you have to tell me, Wes Craven definitely had to have known that. You know, even, we're not even thinking about it. I mean, it's right. it, this is a whole thing going back to the darkness. And there's the bot. There he is hanging, you know, from from a tree, exactly like Drew Barrymore in the in Scream. Well, what's it? Sorry. I was going to say, you wanted to get to Drew Barrymore, right? Oh, yeah. I said, we could talk about the opening scene, but what's, I think, yeah, most obviously a nod to Psycho, where you have Drew Barrymore, who at the time was the name actor. And I'm pretty sure she was actually initially offered the role of Sidney Prescott. But actually, when she read the script, she wanted to be the opening scene because she thought it would be more unexpected. Because right. Yeah. Again, she had top billing. She was on the poster. It's yeah. being sold as a Drew Barrymore starred film. Yeah, so right, right. To have her die in the first scene, it's kind of like, wait a minute, where's this movie going? She barely going? makes the first 10 minutes, you know? Yeah, like, right. so it's, 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 and again, I think that that scene is maybe the best directing Wes Craven's ever done. Like, that's totally a great, just like short film that totally sets up the movie, is suspenseful, is gleeful, it's yeah. brutal. Um, but then, but then you talk about the hero. I mean, really, the, the protagonist of the film is Sidney Prescott. And, What's I think what's great about her is that, you know, and again, talking about how the movie is sort of commenting on the genre, one of her first calls with Ghostface, she's saying, oh, the girls are just like a big breasted dumb girl who runs upstairs when she goes out the front door. So she's obviously aware of these tropes as well, but she kind of becomes the true final girl, which throughout horror, there's always been a, a strong female protagonist, whether that's yeah. Janet Lee in Psycho or uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. So that's not a new tradition. So I yeah. Well, I agree that Wes Craven maybe hadn't done that in his previous films. He's clearly paying homage to true horror by having a final girl that confronts her evil, that confronts the monster. And the fact that she's in every single one of these movies, including the one coming out next month. So, like, that's her fifth screen movie. Her fifth screen movie. So, like, whereas Jamie Lee Curtis has not been in every single one. So, so, Sydney, though, is the victim. You know, she's like the victim, right? Uh, well, she's the main character. Main character, yeah. But the, and he, yeah, normally the main character is not the redeemer hero. No, but I'm saying she's the protect. She's but the final girl. She's the final girl. She's the one that goes. But the redeemer hero is that you know brings in the you know who is the von Helsing character you know right. kind of thing. Right, but Sydney's the one that kind of endures, endures and survives and so forth, yeah, and, and is is the is the archetypal victim too. Then you know, but she but she has a lot of agency. I mean, she's the one. That oh really yeah, no, but, uh, but the archetypal victim. I mean, somebody who really who fights against the forces of evil. You know. Um, what I maybe sur and survives. I don't want to derail us too much, but what I like about Sydney is that she's a lot of things. You know, yeah. she she is a victim, but she's also strong. You know, like yeah, she's a strong character. Her mother's death is something that's that's you know, it, it's it could be spelled out more subtly, 
But they don't really get into that until like 25, 30 minutes into the movie. Her like, you know, dark backstory with yeah. her mother's death, which turns out not only to be like, you know, typical teen movie reason for her to be angsty, but like a crucial part of the film. And it's going to cripple her whole life. Of course. Yeah. And, and but, you know, the first time we see her addressing that, she's like, you know, she's not hiding. She just goes up and like clocks Courtney Cox's character in the face. Yeah. You know? So yeah, she's right. Not, <laughs> she's not like a traditional damsel in distress. She's not meek no. or meager. And that's what I like about her. It's like she can play the role of, um, you know, traditional recognizable victim. But she's also like tough from the beginning. Yeah. She had a, yeah. she has a, a, well, a she, fire. A little bit like yeah. Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis is sort of that in, in the Halloween sure. franchise. You sure. Know? Um, Although I would argue in the original Halloween, she's, she's much more of a victim. Yeah. victim yeah. Whereas I think, I think, yeah, to Danny's point, Sydney has a lot more can sort of take care of herself. Yeah, uh, she she evolves somewhat in the next couple of ones. Jamie Lee Curtis in the second she one, does. she's more of a yeah. But I, but I think she's she not even in the third one. You know, but that's what I mean. Whereas yeah. Sydney Prescott is in every single, every single movie. one of these. Yeah, and what I like is, and we can talk a little bit about the upcoming one, but even in the trailer for the new one. You hear a ghost face, which again, it's going to be a new killer, obviously. But he's like, "Hello, Sydney. It's an honor." As if like anyone that plays ghost faces, like, is, right. it's an honor to go up against the the hero that's endured mm, no, movie I, after movie. One who, yeah, who survives the survivor. Right. She's their John Wick. Well, you know, I mean, it, it makes me think of um of uh, uh the name Chuck in Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Doctor Lecter. No. Uh, Buffalo Bill? No, the the girl. Oh, um, uh, um, Clarice. Clarice. Yeah, Clarice. Yeah, yeah, Clarice. Clarice. Trying to think of yeah. No, yeah. She's she's like that. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. You know, uh, essentially a victim, but not really. Not know? really. She's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, you talk about how that how this came out just a few years after that, and what I love too about the ending where we get the reveal that it's the two guys, and it's kind of like, why would you do this? And Again, you sort of are dealing in that sort of postmodern territory where it's like, well, it's a lot scarier when there's no motive, right? That's what people want in their movies now. But I'll, I'll give you a motive anyways. It's like, then so I talk about how his mother, her mother slept with his dad and that right, right, his right, mom. Right, the the yeah, so it's yeah. kind of like everyone does have some reason for what they're doing. Which is, which is, goes back to a, both the Greeks and the Elizabethan playwrights that revenge is what drives these stories. Sure. You know, or if you're the other boyfriend, peer pressure. <laughs> peer, peer pressure. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, uh, but um, uh, what's what's her name? Plays Clarice. Um, Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Yeah, she's a she's a, a strong woman. Oh yeah. Definitely. I mean, she goes again. She goes toe to toe with Bill at the end. So. Yeah. Right. 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 As well as Hector. Hannibal. Hector. And, and again, I, I think when you again these movies that are yet yeah, twenty five plus years old but when you when you look at movies now you have a lot more even with like the new halloween you have a lot more of like the the victim the female victim confronting her monster and i think like mm. especially in like a me too climate that like really yeah. registers in a, in a strong way but also i mean we can talk more about some of the i mean again this movie is full of references and i think as a horror fan it's just kind of fun to unpack them i mean you have you have um, at the end Billy come like we all go a little mad sometimes. Yeah, right. You have obviously Jamie Kennedy's character just spouting line after line. Yeah, right. And, and you even have Wes Craven himself cameoing as the janitor. As, as as he's, he's got the hat and the sweater, and, and the principal it. calls him Fred. It's <laughs> also what I'd like to bring, but a more specific example when they're in the uh, video store, mm -hmm. uh, you have a censored scene from the original Frankenstein. 
that was only recently restored. Now, I'm trying to think it was restored sometime in the 90s. Uh, but it's the scene where, um, uh, you know, the, the monster's just been created. It's alive, it's alive, you know. And, and uh, the people were with Frank and trying to calm him down. And one of them says, in the name of God, Henry. And he, his classic line, which was deleted for decades, was in the name of God. Now I know what it's like. To, I know how I know what it feels like to be God. Mm. And um, <clears throat> I think it's the, the absence of the true God is, uh, is, is in the background of all of this. Mm. Because uh, the God of the, um, uh, you know, of, of the, of the uh, monotheistic religions, you know, of Judaism, Christianity, and, and Islam, that God is a God who fights for his people. Who redeems his people doesn't hold them blameless when they've you know, done things that are wrong, but is a God who will fight for them. So, so why do you think that line was cut out of Frankenstein? Well, because I think uh, mistakenly they thought it was a, a a negative comment on religion, you know, and, were, and the the production code was very strict when it came in. You see, Frankenstein was done in 1931. The production code really becomes a factor in 1934. So when Frankenstein was re-released back in 1938, they cut that and a whole bunch of other scenes out. The same thing when it came to t television. You're, you know, so for decades, you, you, nobody, you never saw those, that scene. Right. So I, I would just, I, would, I don't think it's accidental. Hmm. If you're going to have, and it is the most famous horror film of all time. So uh, you know, if you're making an homage to the, to the genre, there it is. Of course. And, and, and again, I have to give a lot of credit just to the screenplay by Kevin Williamson, because I think what I like, too, is that there's so many references that if you are a hardcore fan, you're going to pick all these up. But even if you're not, it doesn't distract from your no. enjoyment of the movie. Like, and you're so, told, you're told that, you know, like, don't, say, don't say, I'll be right back, you know, because you <laughs> you're told that they are these kind of quotes. And when we were watching, James, you were pointing out also a little tongue in cheek stuff in the script was when um, I forget which character references the uh the nightmare on elm street franchise but then there's a line about like oh i think it's sydney who's like i saw the first one was good and the rest of them sucked yeah, right. Well, right right <laughs> that's because <laughs> Wes craven wasn't involved exactly in the yeah, yeah. Well, he was well, yeah was he a producer he was something it wasn't that. a hands-on role whatever it was no, it wasn't yeah. he directed the original nightmare and then the new nightmare but there's chock full of sequels can i can i say something else about nightmare yeah. or is that go know, for it so yeah. i watching it again this time i noticed that you know nightmare is I think 83, 84, yeah. and then Scream is 90, late 96. And um, Sydney's boyfriend, Billy, one of the killers, is doing his very best Johnny Depp Nightmare on Elm Street impression. Everything from sneaking in the window to the way that his hair is styled, which I think was already out of fashion in the late 90s. He's got the classic, like, mid-80s Johnny Depp hair. He even goes for, like, a Johnny Depp type of delivery with every single line. And that's the type of thing that just, like, it, it's, it's tongue-in-cheek. And lets you know, like, there's some, be on the lookout for this, you know? Be on the lookout for sneaking into windows, leading into yeah. trouble. And I just like that when, when the director is playful. It really invites you to be part of the movie. Well, and, I, I, and, and one, of the, uh, one of the negative features of uh, the nihilistic horror, when it, when it uh, from its very beginning, which is really the first, see, I'm the first nihilistic horror film is a film called Horrors of the Black Museum. British film made in 1959, uh, starring Michael Goff, who was um, uh, 
uh, Alfred in the first Batman movie. And there's in tons of these uh, smaller B horror films and so forth. Uh, and it becomes uh, exploitative sex, you know, becomes the hallmark of these films. All right. And, um, uh, and it, it, the Hammer films uh, suffer from that a lot in the um, uh, late 60s and early 70s. But I love the bit, uh, you know, and of course, then, it, then it's like one of the things, you, you know, you look for is, is all of the, is the nudity, you know, it's, and it's almost like, you know, Playboy meets the monster. Used, Hammer was hiring these Playboy playmates to play in the, in the horror films, all of which is to say that scene where she, he's at the window and says, Does, do you want to see my breasts, you know? And so she opens up her shirt. You don't see her. That's that's the whole point. He's 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 making fun of the audience in there because you know that that's like the thing that teenage boys all went to these movies to see was right. you know and you see it in Halloween you know the, it's the nudity. And, I was expecting it to be like John Belushi where he falls backwards. Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> and then the other great thing is just well, can I touch them? She slaps him. You know? I think you know that that was a, that's a great comment on. You know the negative part of, of 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 that horror film tradition. Yeah, that, that exploitation part. This movie, I think, lends itself so perfectly to parody because it's aware of all of the schlocky trends in horror. Yeah, and, and that's said. where the Me Too thing comes in. You know, if you're going to be in these movies, you've got to be. You know, like I remember one 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 of the Hammer actresses being asked, be interviewed. You know, she did wasn't comfortable with the nudity, and they said, well. Why did you consent to do it? And she said, because they would be very clear, saying, you don't want to do it. There's a whole line of girls out the door waiting to come mm -hmm. in, and, and they're happy to, you know, to take off their clothes. <clears throat> so, um, you know, you, you, know you, you see that whole, that whole kind of thing. Anyway, you know, I, I just thought that that was um, that to have a nude scene, which the audience doesn't see. Right. It's, it's a very, it's a very <laughs> it's, deliberate. It's, it's, a real, it's definitely a real touch on that, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and even even with the violence of the movie, there are some brutal kills, but it's never gratuitous the way a lot of horror movies, even yeah. in like the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, gets where it's yeah. so yeah. bloody and so over the top. It's, it's just it's, I, there I, are I, moments the Halloween ones exactly. Really so big. it's it's very to me, it still works well as a slasher movie. That is uh, at the same time, we have poking fun, like you said, playful with the genre, with the tropes, and and has a sort of a gleeful spirit to it that makes it and, a, a serious murder mystery. Yeah. It's a great murder mystery. Yeah, yeah. That, that's it. I mean, these, these are not um, mutually exclusive. Because from the beginning, you know, Billy is arrested, what, 30 minutes into the movie? When when uh, Sydney's first attacked in her home. And <laughs> yeah. then he comes in with, with the, the one-way radio. Um, or the mask, I'm sorry. No, it's the radio. The, the phone falls out of his pocket. The phone falls out of his pocket. Right, yeah. yeah. And so she finds it, yeah. you're like, is it him? Is it it? And then, and then I think after they have sex for the first time at the party, he, he has a great line. He's like, what do I have to do to prove to you I'm not the killer? And then he gets stabbed by Ghostface. Yeah. And of course, it's a fake knife. Yeah. But we don't know that at the time. Right. It's just, it's just. Oh, but it's a perfect alibi. You know? It's a perfect alibi. And it's a perfect collision of like subverting your. your and again, that, 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 that's one of the tropes, you know, uh, in, in all these films. That uh, the the killer will pretend to have been uh, attacked when not really, you know, as a way of throwing off uh, suspicion. Well, what's great about a character like Billy is he he seems so suspicious from the get go. Like, okay, it's too obvious to be him. Yeah. But then you sort of second, so, well, maybe 
it's so obvious that it becomes unexpected. And then, yeah, yeah to the point you're like, okay, well, maybe he did do it, then he gets stabbed. And then that's where I love where we, again, once he reveals, he turns around as we all go over mad sometimes. And that's like, it, it, it's so, it zigs and zags in such a fun way. Yeah, yeah, it really, you, you really, um, you really are kept guessing, you know, all the, but I, I, I want to, I, I, I love the, the bit about the, what he does with the Redeemer hero, mm-hmm. with this, um, uh, <laughs> it's a yeah, It's uh, Gail Weathers. Gail Weathers, yeah, great name. It's what? Uh, Gail Weathers. Gail Weathers, Gail Weathers, yeah. Uh, and, and as I recall, you know, when she comes in, at the end, you know, she's chosen to come in. She's got the gun. She's, you know, she's, you've got a, a low angle shot looking up at her, which, you know, gives her more of that aura of the God-like, avenging angel. Godlike image. Yeah. yeah, she's the avenging angel. And uh, there aren't many shots like that in the film, as I recall. They're, much, they're more, cl- you know, straightforward or they're close ups, a, a lot of close ups. But this is, you're looking up at her. You know, and, and it's interesting too with all the sequels, including the upcoming one, that both Courtney Cox and David Arquette are also two of the actors with Nev Campbell that appear in each movie. There's always like a new kind of set of characters, but those three are sort of like the through line of each movie. So they're kind of, yeah, like the sort of guiding angel, if you will, yeah. to, to Sydney. I like that. Yeah, so, and, 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 and that's a notable shot. And I, I was struck by that uh, uh, in the, um, you know, in watching it again. Because she could have been a much more disposable character. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and she could have also just, you know, self-preservation. Just got the heck out of there, yeah. you know. Which she does. And then off yeah, screen, we she, don't she, see it. But she makes the decision to turn around. And come back, you know. She's got, she's got the gun now. And, you know. When her cameraman is, like, found on the windshield, she starts to drive away. Yeah. Right? And then yeah, sort of right, crashes. Right. And we're not expecting her to come back. But she does. Yeah. And saves the day, you know. Yeah. And uh, see, that's where... Um, I, I think it, it, it's uh, <clears throat> the Redeemer hero uh, in the, when you end up with nihilistic horror, uh, it, it basically fades away. Mm-hmm. And yet that takes away an incredible, an important part of the story, an important part of what the myth is. I mean, you know, if, if you only have, uh, the, you know, the Gorgon and you don't have Perseus, who's going to chop her head off, if you only have the Minotaur, but you don't have Theseus, if you only have the Cerberus, but you're not going to have Hercules, you know, you just you over, you lose that whole, that, that whole strong tradition. Yeah. Well, I, I, th- I think what also is just a very clever decision with this franchise is that because of Ghostface being somebody, it's, it's always a new killer in each movie, which in a way gives you the chance to then sort of defeat each Ghostface, but then have a new one for the franchise versus killing Freddy, Freddy comes back, Michael, Dies when he's back. And same with Dracula. Jason's Dracula's mom dies. Jason's here. Exactly. It's always the same yeah. color. They get defeated, but then somehow resurrect. Whereas this, it's you're keeping Ghostface the killer, but it's a new person each time. It made me yeah. think a little bit. And you, know, and you talk about this with um, uh, both the role of uh, uh, Sydney and then uh, Gale. Porter Gale. It makes me think a little bit of the um, the Hunger Game. You know, where you have a very strong woman, where you've got uh, a tyrannical figure, you know, an evil figure, uh, and you've got, you know, these all these ter- obstacles that people have to go through. Uh, and there's a lot of death along the way. You know, so those are not a horror film, but they're, they're fantasy films set in a, in a dystopian future, 
Uh, and, uh, you know, sure, uh, you end up with um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence emerging as the Redeemer hero, mm. but also the victim. She comes out finally being the Redeemer hero by the third, third film. So, I, I, you know, the, the, these, the, what makes these films fascinating is that they're drawing on a bedrock of, of really established tradition. And then, you know, at the best, they, they can comment on that tradition or they add to it. At the worst, they, uh, they kind of bail out. You know? um, I was about filming with The Last House on the Left. The, the original film of that, Ingemar Bergman's The Virgin Spring, is a very different kind of film with sort of the same plot. I would never have put those two together. That's interesting. Oh, it's, no, it's clearly an adaptation yeah. of The Virgin Spring. Yeah. yeah, it's the same plot. Yeah, yeah, same story. Um, and again, you know, that the, the motivation in so many of these things is revenge. Yeah. You know, if you take the, um, uh, if you, you know, you, you look at them um, the, in the, in the, uh, the Bible, in the, uh, the, you know, the Torah or the Old Testament, uh, the story of David, he had just re revenge and revenge, you know, mm -hmm. his son Absalom, you know, and all that is, stuff is um, so much that is motivated by revenge. You know, uh, and um, I agree. Well, what, what I like too with with where um, Sidney Prescott's character sort of ends up is it is a form of revenge, but it's also a form of acceptance, especially with like her, the death of her mother. Like it's kind of like yeah. that's what she's been sort of crippled, <laughs> crap that has been grappling with the whole movie. So I feel like it's her confronting and defeating her monster, but also accepting what happened and yeah. kind of being able to move forward with her life, coming to terms with it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. Um, I do want to just briefly touch on the new one coming out, which is just called Scream, even though it's technically Scream 5. And, and briefly kind of mention the sequels. I, I've enjoyed the sequels to varying degrees. I, I think the, the problem is... They get spoofier and spoofier, though, right? Well, that, I think that's the problem, is you have such a novel idea with the original, that's kind of like, how do you recreate that? Yeah. And I think they kind of try to find their best ways, but it's never fully satisfying. But what's interesting about this new one is that it's the first one in 10 years it's the first one not directed by Wes Craven because he's passed away. I believe it's the team that did Ready or Not, a movie that I liked a lot. So I'm kind of interested to see if this is going to put a newer sort of new spin on the franchise. Yeah. Sure. But again, you have Nev Campbell coming back. You have Courtney Cox and Dave Arquette. So it's a lot of the familiar faces. What if, we, if they would be playing the same roles? I assume oh, they yeah. will. Yeah. Um, but again, it's sort of like, what, what more can we add to the franchise? Yeah, right, right. That's interesting. I mean, one thing that jumped out to me from the trailer um, is that at the end, before the uh, ghost face says, Sydney, it's an honor to meet you, is that there's that same scene of her closing a door, which looks very much like the door in the house party where everything does. goes down, it right? It does, right. Same yeah. heavy oak door. Right. And like, you know, something bad's going to happen in, in, you know, some big house with a big heavy. Well, so the, like the old dark house kind of symbol, of which, which, you know. But it's also like established. returning to the scene of the crime. You know? Yeah, right, 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 right. Well, it's interesting. What I'm, what I'm curious what they'll do, too, is I think what's such a, what makes this such a 90s movie in a good way is that so much of it is with the phone, which doesn't have caller ID. Yeah. So yeah, right. you can get away yeah. with who's calling you. Whereas yeah, right, right, with right. modern technology, it's like, how do you do that? So I'm. I'm curious if they're going to address that and kind of work around that or what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you can't have an anonymous phone. So you can just buy a phone without any but it, it know, still registration. Up, or whatever. It yeah. still opens up like a lot of cans. You know, people would 
like the issue of whether to trace. I don't know. It, like they're recreating the, the the Drew Barrymore scene in this one. They show that in the trailer um, with the new girl, I think, called ooh, ooh. Tara. Not 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 a, not somebody we know. Right? No, not yeah. a famous actress, which should be yeah. interesting. Mm. Um, I think that girl was in You season two, but yeah, not no, a, not a well known. No, no. <laughs> yeah, something where she's like locking the doors in her phone. So. Right, like modernizing like the terror of you can't get yeah. out of your house. Right, right. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is with the web. I think uh, you could do a lot with cell phones if they're anonymous. If you have an, an unregistered cell phone, and and it, you know, somebody's calling you, but there is no reference. Yes, you know where, the, and those calls can come anywhere, anytime. Yeah, you don't have to be near a phone. You know, right? You're carrying your phone with you at this point, and somebody, you know, is is, is sending you messages without, you know, what is it, possible spam or, or you know, <laughs> what, but. I think that they could do a lot with that. Yeah, I te- the telephone stuff gets to be very, you know, there was, it, it's a, it's an important. It, thing. it kind of goes back to Black Christmas because a lot of that film is the killer calling his victims on the phone, and they they know he's in the house, but they don't know where he is. Well, you know, it goes yes. back to dial in for murder, Hitchcock. Sure. You know where the killer is calling on a phone. And then even more recently, you have like Ringu the Ring, where oh, yeah. technology plays a role in how yeah, yeah. the prey gets attacked by the predator. And it, it almost becomes that um, the technology cre- creates new opportunities for these spirits or monsters or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, okay, well, then I guess kind of wrapping up, do you want to kind of give some final thoughts, final impressions? I think we all enjoyed this movie. That's safe to say. Yeah, yeah it, it, it is. I think it's, um, it's, it's very novel. Uh, and I think it it um, it also reestablishes the tradition uh, by having the Redeemer hero, you know, part clearly delineated, but in a surprising way, you know. So right, you, you know, you both have the tradition and you have a new take on it, which is really makes an interesting film. Yeah, I I think I think it strikes the perfect balance of like its own thing, but also being parody, and you know, we're sort of called like the nostalgia generation. Oh, remember this? Remember that? And um, I'm not sure that you know the new screen will be nearly as effective in terms of mm-hmm. you know trying to play off nostalgia. But um, I, I to, to your point, James, it is interesting. Anytime you can get like five or three pretty big name actors for five movies over the course of 25 yeah. years, that says something about like yeah, institutional right. stability. Sure, so it's earned. And I think that you know to acknowledge the classic tradition you know, by having a you know, they say that that previously censored clip from Frankenstein is you know is in no way and the camera stay you know you you got the shot of the uh, video store and rental and stuff but the camera stays on that on the uh, the uh, um, the screen there showing it uh, until you know you get the fun they get that whole speech in there. Oh yeah, there's like 80 horror movie references. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I'll start some packing those. Well, there are you know there there are only so many um, variations you can have, you know. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I my closing remarks are: I, I love this movie. I, I love it every even more every time I watch it. I do think it, to its credit, both in the screenplay <laughs> and in West Craven's directing, it walks such a tonal tightrope, whereas. It could have gone full parody, and I think the difference between this and like a scary movie is the references become so much lazier and so much more sure. on the nose. Whereas yeah. this does a tightrope of having meta, having lots of references, but still working as an original slasher. It's very effective. It is a horror movie, but it's also about horror movies, and I think that's not as easy to pull. Off. And it's also a murder mystery. I think that's a, that's an exactly. important part of it too. 
And and it, it takes on another dimension when you consider all of the school shootings. This idea of, of you know rampant violence in, in, in the schools. Mm. That's that's lurking in the background here too, and especially in the in the subgenre of like a slasher. Traditionally, slashers it's it's very much like a victim body count, like how many yeah. how many kills can can Jason get or, or Michael get. So for the characters to have much more agency and much more, as you said, like redeemer heroes that can really fight back against the evil, makes it more I think, memorable. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well I think that concludes this episode. Thank you guys for discussing Scream with me. And um, Dad, do you want to close us out? Where can they find us? I, well, no, I guess we're, we're uh, 10 times the terror uh, is where we're located. And we're going to have a number of things. We're going to be doing a kind of a Christmas show next Ooh. on uh, uh, some of the ghosts of Christmas. You know, g- going back to Dickens, the original Christmas ghost s- storyteller. Uh, and uh, and also we're going to talk about who really was born on December 25th. Mm. So s- stay tuned till next time. Same bad time, same bad yes, channel. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Thank you all for, for listening to 10 Times the Terror. Thank you for listening to It's 10 Times the Terror. The podcast. You are impossible. Thank you for listening to 10 Times the Terror. This podcast would not be possible without listeners like you. You can find out more about our podcast by visiting our website, 10timestheterror.com. That's 10xtheterror.com.